there are some families who have just kind of left Christmas in the dust, at least the story about Christ in the dust. And um, it's not because they're horrible people. They just get distracted. And um, like Terry's character, she said, we went to church as kids and um, just kind of went on with life and left it behind. And so one of the things that I, I think is possibly a defining moment for all of us is when we, first of all, begin to actually have friendships with unchurched people. That could be one of those things that changes everything, especially for them. Uh, one of the things that could change everything for this friend who you never know, they're nice people, maybe a workmate or a student at school that you know, uh, maybe they have a, a background with Christ, but it has never come up in your conversation. Or maybe you don't know anybody who isn't already a Christian, an active Christian. Can I just challenge you? A defining moment for those of us who are believers could be that we make a decision this season to let something new be born in us. I'm going to start having friendships with people I disagree with politically. I'm going to start having friendships with people that might not have the same moral standard that I have. Or they may just be pursuing wealth and riches and popularity and fame and everything in this world that all that it has to offer and not seem to have any concern for eternity. A defining moment might be that you decide no more of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The message version, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and a lasting life. If you're a believer, then we're supposed to contain that same love that we would be willing to give and sacrifice our time, our energy. And it's not easy making new friends, especially new friends that may not be in the same belief system as you and I. But that could be the first thing that changes their eternity. So if you don't have many or any unsaved friends, I'd like to challenge you to start this year. Start making a point to begin relating to people who don't know the Lord. I love that part of this story because this is real life, right? These guys have friendship. So secondly, I'd really encourage you to invite some of those friends that you may have into some more intimate places in your family and in your life. Like when you have all your buddies getting together and you're going to go play video games, invite the kid that's not part of your group yet, and have him come and join you. That's kind of an intimate friendship time, right? Like we know each other, we hang around all the time, and, and uh, we've got this down pat, and we sort of have our little groove that we're into, and you think a new person might sort of interrupt that. It would be a great time to say, you know what? It's not just about us, man. God sacrificed his only son. We can sacrifice a little discomfort, a little work in maintaining a new friendship. Or if you're an adult, inviting neighbors, friends, family members who aren't necessarily on fire like you into your family times around the holidays. And uh, let them see what life is like on your side of the front door where it's not perfect necessarily and it's not all preaching, it's not all religious, it's just doing life together under his lordship and his management. That can be a very, very eye-opening experience for a lot of people. So that could be your defining moment. There's more to this verse. Jesus goes on to say, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. Can I just tell you, that was the best news the first time I ever read that. Because I had this view of Jesus before I became a Christian that it was his way 
for God to become that human accuser in your face guy. God was doing it from heaven, but you couldn't see him. Now he's going to ramp it up and make it more intense. And he sent his son so he could point the finger. And now he's got a physical body to really intensify the accusation. It's so nice to know that's not at all what Jesus came for. Quite the opposite. Pointing an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. I vote, that was me. That's, I had no clue that ignoring Jesus, whether Christmas time or any time of year, kept me in a position I was already in. I didn't have to choose to be there. And that position was, I'm under a death sentence. Why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. Your defining moment might be that you start making friends with someone who's not yet a believer. Or it might be that you develop those friendships that you already have and actually invite those people into some more intimate places in your daily life and uh, let them see what Christians live like, assuming that you're somewhat proud of your lifestyle. <laughs> and let them just see how you handled conflict in the family and how you handled trouble financially and how you handle fun times and what you do for, for play. And let that be your witness for a year or 10. And then eventually, it, it may come down to your defining moment will be when they're experiencing great difficulty or challenges in their life that you just, after a long time of earning credibility, you just say, can I pray for you? Let's see what God has here. It's really an exciting thing when you and I step beyond our comfort zone, beyond our fears, and we actually do something for God's purposes in God's behalf. Because I know before I ever offered to pray for anybody, it was terrifying to conceive what it would be like. And I was so afraid of how I would sound and how much I was going to fail. The minute I stepped over that line and did it, I just felt, I mean, I just went to the moon and back. I was so excited. God actually, I think, maybe might have used me to do something eternal. And that's what living on that side of the line is like. It should be like all the time. So the defining moment could be your first opportunity to pray for somebody who's in need that normally doesn't ask for that stuff, doesn't come up in conversation because that's not where they live like you do. This Christmas could be a time for God to birth something new in you like that. Some other parts of the story I loved were the, uh, the mom, Adrian, after she was kind of confronted you know, by Terry saying, hey, I didn't know it was going to be a Bible study. I thought we were going to hear to you know, bake cookies and do ornaments and stuff. And Adrian immediately caught herself and said, I'm so sorry, I did not mean to ambush you. That's an important ingredient to acknowledge when we overstep our bounds or overstep where we've actually grown in the relationship and get a little too aggressive. The fact that she knew to do that, it's not that there's a perfect line that we all have to know where that is because we're all going to mess up. The, the beauty was that when it happened, she goes, I'm, my bad, sorry, my bad. That's a powerful witness. Do you know that? Because Christians that walk in humility prove that they're not out to become something amazing, something famous, trying to impress people, and that's their salvation because they're perfect or impressive or smart or anything else. It's humility that leans on the grace of God. I'm getting to heaven because of him. I don't have to be amazing. That's real life. 
and so wonderful. So it might be a defining moment for you to say, I, I just got to get a little bit more real with my Christianity and stop pretending like I got it all together because I certainly don't. Then the greatest defining moment of all, of course, could be for you the fact that you've decided to come back to Jesus. Maybe you were that person who's been away for a long time. You have had an experience, but you're not really close. At least you weren't when you walked in the door this morning. Maybe you're closer now, but maybe today is a day where you can look back and say, wow, December 17th, 2017, I recommitted my life to my Savior. I, I'm just so happy I made that decision. Everything is going to change, and I'm going to get back all the previous joy and strength and purpose I used to have. Or maybe I'm going to capture it for the first time ever, and I'm just ready to experiment and see what it's like. Your defining moment could be returning to your Heavenly Father, regardless of where you've been or how far away you've you strayed. Because, you know, His grace and His mercy is bigger than our sin, right? It just is. It's really critical that you, you and I recognize that making no decision about Jesus, putting it off, or sitting on the fence saying, yeah, I can see that coming down the road. I'm going to make a choice one day or another soon. Do you know what? That is a decision. It's a no. It's a no thank you. Just want you to know. You really can't be on the fence. Once we hear about the in, information about Christ the Savior, um, now we're accountable. It's kind of like, shoot, I wish I hadn't heard that. That's how I felt when I first heard it, because now I'm, there's like no way out. Either I have to reject him and I like risk going to hell, or I got to do something about that. I got to deal with it. And that's what we're all required to do once we hear the story of God sending his son. So let me, let me give you a little illustration. A lot of people, when they get to that moment, I know I did, I, I began to say, whew, if, if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to give some stuff up. I have to change the way I live, and I, I don't know if I'm ready, man. I'm having a lot of fun, and I know some of the fun is not really Christian fun, and so I'm probably going to have to give some stuff up. Can I tell you how, how ridiculous that is in reality? Okay, here's the analogy. Let's say, um, anybody buy lottery tickets? Not addicted to it, gamblers, but just for fun, right? No, nobody here is addicted. I've not bought one yet, but I can't wait. It should be fun. I just... You know, it's kind of like, you know, I'll put down 10 bucks at a poker game too, but I have a limit, something like that. So anyway, I haven't done it, but imagine this. Let's say instead of the odds, or right now the price has grown to $10 million, okay, and you're ready to buy a ticket. You're going, I want, I want in on that. But instead of uh, the ticket being five bucks and the odds being a zillion to one, which is what it becomes, right, when it grows, it's like nearly impossible, almost 0% chance you're going to win. Instead of it being 10 zillion to 1, let's say it's 50-50. Let's say there's half of a chance you're going to win, the other half you're going to lose. And let's say there's only one other person involved in this lottery. And instead of costing 5 bucks, it costs you $1,000. So it's a lot more expensive, but there's a 50-50 chance you're going to win. Okay, so now imagine that. Would you buy a ticket? Would you sacrifice $1,000 knowing you could lose it forever for the chance of winning $10 million? How many of you would do that? I would do it, absolutely. 50-50, are you kidding? Absolutely, I'm all in. But it's going to cost me a lot. And guess what? I could lose it and completely go back to my life as it was. So here's the reason I asked it is because you have to compare that choice with 
this choice saying, oh, I, I don't know, man, I don't want to lose out on my fun. I don't want to lose that thousand bucks. I don't want to give up. And a thousand bucks is a lot of money, you know. Compared to the potential win, it's nothing. It's child's play. Oh, but I, you, you don't know what I could do for $1,000, man. I'm going to have really go places and buy things and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, but when the $1,000 is gone, it's back to the same old life as usual. So here's the analogy. When, when you and I consider becoming a Christian, what we have to recognize is there's a 50-50 chance he's real. And if you are the winner of that lottery, if you choose correctly with God, the Bible promises rewards and prizes and surprises beyond your wildest imagination so that whatever you may or may not have to give up to remain faithful to him, it's just ridiculous to think there's any comparison. So the final question is, what have you got to lose? If you've never received Christ before, what have you actually got to lose? Let's say turns out he's not real. You made a choice, you're all in, and you're ready to go, and now you're like believing he's real, and you can't see him, but you believe he's there. What if it's actually all a farce? What have you lost? Absolutely nothing. So the question is, how, how courageous can you be? It does, just takes courage, because it's a risk. You might begin to be grouped with this group of people that you wouldn't naturally become friends with. Because you like your group of friends. You might have to kind of walk away. You might have to, yeah, it, it takes courage to make that decision. But what are the options? And what is it going to cost you, even if you're wrong? The, the beautiful thing about the Christmas story is that um, it begins with this one event, the birth of this baby, miraculously. And then the story goes on and on and on and on, all the way to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the cool thing is, there were like over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And all along the way, literally hundreds and even thousands of people began to believe in him, and their lives were completely changed. And, and this is an historical account, eyewitnesses writing down what they saw, what they experienced. And book after book after book after book, 66 of them, written by about 39 authors in the Bible that, that actually did very little collaboration. They didn't even know each other over a period of 1,500 years. And somehow, all of their accounts, all of their eyewitness writings are like in agreement. And there's no possible way that could happen if it was just human. It's clear that a supernatural entity was orchestrating this whole thing to come up with this book. So you're not leaping out in superstition when you try God. It's not... A blind faith, it's based on a ton of historical evidence. And nowadays, millions of people who've had an experience, knowledge is not enough, a simple prayer is not enough. You've got to say, Lord, I need to experience you. I need to see you for my sake. And it's when that experience is matched with knowledge, then you got proof that he's real. And when it begins to change you from the inside out, you start going, oh, my gosh, I've always known I should be a better man or a better woman. Now I'm actually seeing myself become that. How does that happen? It's the power of a very real living God inside you at work. And that's just the beginning. Then you get heaven at the end of it all as well. That could be the greatest defining moment of your life. So I want to uh, talk to the Christians first. Can I um, ask you to pray with me? And let's, let's just be honest with the Lord and see how we're doing in terms of including 
people who don't yet know him in our lives. Let's ask the Lord, how am I really doing in including those friends in my family gatherings or my personal fun time where it's not just us three? Or perhaps say, Lord, am I far from you or am I close to you today? I, I'd like your opinion because I, I want to get closer. Or if you've never met him before, it could be your day to say, I want to meet you. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the story of your son. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you came and you lived a perfect life, not for yourself, but for us. And we thank you that today we can celebrate your birth over 2,000 years ago. So, Father, I just pray for those of us here this morning who uh, do know you. We know we're going to heaven. We have that relationship. But, frankly, we've been kind of stuck in our own little circle of friends and don't really know anybody who doesn't already know you. Would you give us the courage to start something new, new friendships with those you've already put in my path? They're already intersecting my life on a regular basis. And would you help me to invest in them, to give myself just the way you gave your son to me? If that's your prayer this morning, would you raise your hand? Oh, praise God, that is so cool. Very good. Yeah, Christians, it's got to start with us. Good job. Father, you've seen the hands, the humility, and the honesty, so now I thank you that already your grace is beginning to pour out into our hearts, Father, with grace and imagination and adventurousness to reach, to meet, and to begin to know those people that you've ordained for eternal life somewhere down the road. And Lord, for those of us who already have those relationships, but we kind of are protective of our time and our space, and we don't really let them into our family life or our personal fun times or anything else. We, we want to keep that for the Christians only. And you're saying to us this morning, it's time to invite them in. Ask them over for an old-fashioned Christmas or something like that. If you want to start that today, I want you to raise your hand as well. You already know these people, but it's time to invite them in. Thank you, Lord. You came to our world. You invaded our space, Lord. We want to let people into our personal lives now. And thank you that you'll give us grace and energy and imagination to know who and how and when. If there's anyone this morning who's been far from the Lord, and today you're going, okay, hands down, man, I'm back. And that's all you need to say. No details required. You just know you've been away. He knows it, but he's excited that today you're ready to come back. And you're saying, I'm doing that right now. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's so cool. Great job. Father, you see the courage and the humility and the honesty and openness. And you said that is a, the ingredients for grace to be poured out right now. I thank you that their sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven, Lord. And that our past really is completely severed from our present and our future, that today we, again, are children of God, walking and living as such, and that we can start to enjoy nearness and closeness and no fear and no more guilt, no more condemnation anymore with you. Lord, I thank you for helping those of us who just raised our hands to um, invest in this new path, getting back on track, to spend the time it takes to get strong again. And finally, if there's anyone here who's never made a decision to receive the Son of God, but today you would like to. Or maybe you just want to open the door a crack and let the evidence begin to creep in. Maybe you're not ready for the full-blown throw yourself on the ground. I hope you are. But you know what? The Lord loves you so much. He loves curiosity. He loves a seeking heart. 
So if you're anywhere on that scale, ready to open the door of your heart to Jesus, would you raise your hand this morning? Never done it before. Thank you, Lord God. All right. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Thank you, Lord God, for this day, for this time. We ask that you elevate our Christmas week coming up so that we can experience your presence above all, along with wonderful times with family and friends. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. Can we stand together? And let's sing that chorus we sang a little bit earlier, Oh, come let us adore him. And, and this is a chance for us to really lift our voices in thanks and adoration, lift our hands and just really let him know, man, I am, I am all in. Can we do that? Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. For you alone. For you big applause. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you have kids out in the modular. I know Pam gets upset every time we get out too early. So if they're still finishing up stuff, do go over there, but just kind of hang back for a minute or two. All right. God bless you. Love one another as you go. We'll see you next Sunday.